you're a business owner, you've poured yourself into your business. It's your baby. Can you retire? Well, of course you can. But the time to start thinking about that is years before you're even close to being ready. That's the subject of today's podcast from Epic Trust Financial Group, LLC. Based in Richland, Washington, Epic Trust is a full-service financial firm offering financial services for individuals and businesses in the Tri-Cities, Washington area and a little beyond. Well, today, tax advisor Nathan Burt starts off the conversation with financial and investment advisors Jeff Lewis and Mark Livernoy, focusing on what business owners should consider when thinking about how they might eventually let go of their business. Lots of people use their bank balance as a way to measure what's going on in their business. And so that's kind of where we come in and we say, look, we need this foundational piece to measure everything off of. And that's right. how we're going to measure your your success of saving for retirement. That's uh, so how we're going to know how much uh, discretionary cash flow we have to what, what kind of experience have you run into? I know I've, I've talked to uh, business owners, small business owners who say, well, I'm just going to sell when I retire. You know, when, when I get to a certain age, I'm going to sell my business. How in real life is, is successful is that strategy in your experience? I think there's some complications to that. Right. So when you have a company that's so reliant on the owner, it makes it difficult regardless of the industry. They just have so much process knowledge and technical um, knowledge that it's hard to replace. And so I, I think that's tough to count on unless you are a business owner and run your business with the idea that this business is being prepared to sell one day. It's not just serving me to provide income every year. Mm -hmm. Do you see a lot of buy-sell agreements, formal? Boy, you know, I am not involved in the buy-sell agreements hardly at all, except for when we're setting up a business that's new where they, where they turn it over from somebody else or bought somebody else out, and then we're kind of setting up, uh, w defining what they sold or what they bought and, um, and trying to account for everything that way. Mm -hmm. But since we've... Uh, started this company and now we're like holy smokes this is like an integral piece of, mm -hmm. of the strategy and so now we're paying more attention to that. I know I have a uh, client he is um, yeah, getting close to 60 and it's a it's a family business you know he he got the business from his dad and he's 60 years old and he's got two kids who work for him and some other employees too and the I perceive that he wants to walk away from the business, but he just can't. You know, I mean, it's one thing to say, I want to sell it, you know, and if these kids want it, they can have it. If it fails, fine. But actually going beyond that stage to actually sit down and, like, put it to paper, um, it's a tough, it looks to me like a very tough thing to do because you, you live and breathe this business 24-7. And then even if you're 65 and you're going to be done, um, you know, there's that risk that it comes back to you somehow. Because most businesses aren't set up in a corporate sense, right, to cash out and walk away. There's usually some kind of buyback or some kind of seller financing going on in these businesses. And it seems to me like it's something that needs to have more attention or actually put higher up on the, on the if, you, if you have a list of things to talk about with a client, instead of like being number eight, maybe it should be number two. Right? How are you going to walk away from this thing if you are successful, right? Yeah, for sure. 
Well, one of the other things that often comes up in those conversations, and uh, we, we've seen this recently even in our own partnership, is the compensation question among partners mm -hmm. and, uh, and the ownership structure among partners. Typically, the ownership structure doesn't end up changing a whole lot uh, across partnerships unless there's a change of money, right? Somebody buys a little bit larger portion of the, of the retiring uh, owner or the exiting owner's uh, percentage ownership. So um, ownership changes don't happen as much as you know, compensation structures uh, can change over time in a lot mm. of these businesses. And I think people have to realize that that's okay, uh, especially the business owners uh, who, who work together. Um, one of them specifically that I'm thinking about is a dental practice that uh, good friends of mine, um, their compensation structure and the way that they divide up responsibility in their partnership has changed five or six times over the last 10 years that they've been in business together. Uh, to be able to mold and uh, ebb and flow with the needs of the business and, and the responsibilities that they're each carrying. Um, and so while their ownership structure has remained the same as a 50-50 partnership, uh, their compensation structure has dramatically changed over the years multiple times just because uh, it's been one of those things that uh, as the business has grown and evolved and needs change, uh, the compensation structures change too. Um, and so that's been that's been an interesting thing, not necessarily a tax related item as much as it is just a overall business related uh, reality that a lot of the business owners that we work with um, will either eventually have to face or, or have faced already uh, throughout their partnership if they have one. Um, one of the other situations I'm thinking of is like a retiring uh, construction uh, owner. Um, uh, another friend of mine who is uh, trying to, or, or at one time was trying to leave his business to another junior associate uh, and ended up having to come in and take that business back mm -hmm. because the associate couldn't run the business on its own. Right. And so there's, there's uh, different situations where safeguarding some of that longer term equity and having some buyback provisions mm -hmm. or rollback provisions uh, in your buy-sell agreement end up becoming uh, extremely valuable. Um, we should have had the attorney on the on the call today <laughs> for this one. Well, the other thing is, is the buy-sell funded, right? I mean, you can have a buy-sell agreement between two or three uh, business owners or doctors, like doctor practices mm -hmm. or, you know, optometrists or some dentist. And if they have a buy-sell, yeah, we, we talk to the attorney, right? We, we have it all set up. Well, it's not funded, right? And it's not an issue until it is, right? Um, my experience back in uh, Michigan was... Um, when I worked for the bank, um, we had clients who were uh, who owned a tool and die shop in Saginaw, Michigan, had a very nice contract with GM. Mm -hmm. um, then 9/11 happened, and then shortly thereafter, there was, it was three owners, three three owners, um, and then shortly thereafter, one of the three owners died of a heart attack on the golf course, and they had a buy sell agreement, but it wasn't funded. So this business um, went through 9-11. We know what happened to the economy with the car business in, in 2001 and two. Um, the two re the remaining two business owners had to stop taking any kind of income from the business and went into debt with the bank I was with to buy the um, spouse of the deceased uh, co-owner. And the three of those people didn't get along. She did not like them. They did not like her. And she was unhappy with the um, settlement that they were offering her because they did not have a true formal buy-sell agreement such that the business wasn't wasn't uh, they didn't go through business valuation 
So they can say, hey, it's worth this amount of money. She was like, no, my husband told me that you guys were like killing it. And, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, then 9-11 happened, right? It wasn't our fault. And so it, it was, it would, they were in for a, a decent amount with the bank just to buy her out. And then it took a long time for them to pay that note back to the bank. Be all, all, and, and it's just one of those, do you have a buy-sell agreement? Yeah, we've agreed to it. You know, okay, so if it happens, how are you going to fund this? And right. usually when we talk about funding, we're either talking about cash, a line of credit, or a life insurance policy. Mm -hmm. uh, the life insurance policy is the easiest one and probably the cheapest one because we don't have to tie up current assets to be able to fund uh, a situation where one partner might die or no longer be able to be part of the business for one reason or another. Right. Um, life insurance is typically what we're talking about when we talk about funding a buy-sell agreement, or at least a portion of the buy-sell agreement. It's the initial piece that says, Hey, uh, the, the the remaining partners can buy out the interest of the uh, deceased partner's estate uh, or spouse very easily as long as life insurance is in play. That reminds me, how much do I get if you die, Jeff? Uh, it's not nearly enough to buy my wife it's out. It's not enough, we according to her. Uh, you know, I, I had this Bell's palsy, and I was thinking about yeah, that the first day. It kept me up all night long. Have I got enough life insurance for my wife and my business partners? The thing, the, the funny thing about the follow-up on the, the two, so, you, you know, we had the, um, the 02 recession, which hit Michigan really hard. And then, you know, the business came back, and auto business came back. Uh, the two uh, owners, um, I had lunch with both of them separately to talk about structuring the, the true buy-sell, um, and this was in 2006 or seven. So just at the precipice of the 2008 crash, uh, they were finally cash flow positive uh, and were with happy with car, you know, car sales and so forth. And it was just kind of ironic because they were, you know, they, they made it out, and then we had the 2008, 2009 thing happen you know and it's just it that's it's just the ebb and the flow of business right yeah and by the time you think that you got it all set up and then boom 2008 happens um we we got it done i mean you know but under underwriting is always an issue but you know it we got it we got it done i get a lot of a lot of uh, business owners asking me how do i get lower taxes mm -hmm. uh, and part of that is that it's really tough to get lower taxes if you're successful and you're in an operating business and so we say oftentimes the way to get lower taxes is to transition your income from active to passive and, and part of that is uh, it may involve a buy-sell agreement or just getting bought out and turning your income from from active operating income into capital gain income so there's a few ways to get paid while you're while you're operating a business while you're the one operating it. One is that you're repaying yourself loans that you gave the company over time to get things started. Another way is through wages, and another way is through through uh, distributions or profit uh, distributions dividends. Um, and so there's some there's some things that we can do to get lower taxes while you're operating the business. We can look at uh, buying equipment, buying real estate, using depreciation. Uh, in our office, we look at retirement accounts. We, uh, now that we offer that service, we have a full suite of options that people can choose from that makes sense for them and their employees. Um, but ultimately, your lowest taxes are going to come after you exit. And so uh, I think it's uh, we can't focus on that part enough where we want the business to be providing you and your family 
income while you're operating it, but we also want you to think of the business as an asset itself. Uh, and one day it's going to pay you for not operating it, and you're going to get lower taxes from that. Oftentimes people will say, I, I want to pay as little taxes as Donald Trump pays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I say, I'm not that kind of accountant. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to think, where does most of Donald Trump's income come from? It's passive real estate. And so um, if we can, over time, transition a lot of your income to passive investments, you'll, you'll eventually get to that point where you own the building you're operating in, you own the capital gains from the business that you're selling. You are receiving dividends and and uh, and uh, from your from your uh, from the savings that you built up over time. And so you'll get there. You just have to think about over time while you're operating how you're transitioning that active income to passive income. I think it goes to planning, right? I mean, it goes back to. Um, you know, to, the, the time to think about selling your business and how best to do it isn't like the year you're going to do it, right? It's some time before that. And actively talk to uh, the professionals we have here and the tools that we have available to say, you know what, maybe five years down the road, this is, you know, 10 years, this is kind of like, you know, my client I'm talking to, you know, right now he's, he's going to be 60. So maybe he's a little late in doing it, you know, maybe at 55 or just terms of age, you know, when he wants to do it. But the time really is to is when you have the opportunity to think about these things and think it through and then say, yeah, okay, here's my path, right? It, it's planning. I think the other consideration too is you want to sell your business when it's in growth mode. You don't want to sell your business when you're in a decline or when you're losing revenue or when you've slowed down and pulled back from you know, actively growing the business and you're just kind of coasting along. You're going to get a far lower uh, sales price for a business that isn't growing versus a business that is growing. And so uh, like Nathan was talking about just a second ago, the the uh, things you're doing to prepare your business uh, to sell or to grow uh, come down to the things that also are going to give you the best valuation for your your business. So making sure you have a very profitable uh, P&L, which means you're going to pay more taxes in those last few years before you sell it because you want to pay as much in taxes as possible. I know it's weird to say that, but the person that is going to eventually buy your asset from you wants to buy a profitable asset. And the more profit that asset generates, the more they're willing to pay you for it. Whether it's a private equity company that comes in, whether it's an uh, an employee pension plan that comes in to buy your practice or your business or, or any other potential buyer, you are going to want to have as much free cash flow and taxable income as possible because that's what they're buying. And so paying down your debts, getting uh, the excess off of your balance sheet or off of your income statement, all your unnecessary expenses that are your personal expenses uh, that you're floating through the business because it's a deductible expense. All those things we got to get cleaned up. We got to get them out of the way because otherwise you're just going to take a major uh, discount on your business. Um, And just to add a little math in there for you. If you have $100,000 in personal expenses, for example, that you run through the business every year, between your car, your gas, your insurance, your utilities at home, your eating out budget, your travel budget, your vacation with your family, uh, and maybe some other personal expenses, that $100,000 on a 
5x multiple of your of your earnings before income, taxes, interest, and depreciation. Uh, that that 500,000 in personal expenses equals $500,000 in business valuation that you just cut off the table if you you've taken are, it out. You've yeah. taken it out. Well, right? yeah, so so you got 100 grand a year, that's great, but you actually shortchanged yourselves $500,000 in the sales price of your business if you're running those expenses. Because I'm because if I'm the business owner, I'm not paying for that. Right. You're going out and doing all this thing. You, you got to think as the buyer. Right. The buyer says, "Well, you, you're doing this a hundred thousand a year. Well, I'm not. Pay, I'm not pay, giving you a valuation for that. I'm actually going to discount that. Exactly. And I'm taking it out because that's not that hundred thousand isn't going to be there anymore. Well, no, they don't right. discount it. Actually, well, uh, I'm taking it out. You um, know, take they, it away. If I was the buyer of that business and I saw, you know, up to a hundred thousand dollars or whatever, we'll just use a hundred thousand for the round number of business expenses that were personal. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't take that out. I'd say those are business expenses. I'm going right. to discount your cash because discount. of that. Right? Yeah, I'm going to. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to pay less for it. Right. I'm paying less I'm for paying that less for because it. Uh, I'm assuming that those are actual business expenses mm -hmm. if you deducted those off your tax return. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think there's a couple of mistakes that I see commonly made with business owners uh, thinking about this type of future for themselves. One is that I don't think they're always very good at tracking what their profitability is. And usually, almost always, valuations are based on net profit. And so if you're using your bank account balance to figure out if you're doing good or not, it's not, it's not good enough because then you add in things like depreciation and principal loan payments and things like that. and and uh, those things are may not show up on the, the operating section of your profit and loss statement. So you, you may not know what your value is nearly as well if, you, if you've got a great looking set of financial statements. So I, I have become a big advocate of, of hiring that out uh, and having a partner to look at your financials with you regularly throughout the year. We use, we use the financials, our, I would say our flagship service on the accounting side of our business is uh, is looking at preparing someone's and looking at someone's financials monthly. And the reason we, we love doing that because I'm a, the reason I'm a big advocate of it is because we use that as a foundational piece from then, from that point to look at your retirement account and, and how much money can we funnel into savings. That's kind of the secret sauce into having a good investment strategy is just getting money into the investments in the first place. And then we also use that as another way to look at tax projections and tax planning and, and we can get a pretty, a pretty good idea of what you're going to owe at the end of the year with taxes if, if you've got a clean profit and loss statement. And so we'll know six to nine months ahead of time what you're going to owe and what things we can do to get that down. Another mistake I see often is when business owners use their business bank account as a personal piggy bank mm -hmm. and uh, they may be taking way more money out of the business than they realize if you think of large corporations they don't their shareholders don't take money out of their business bank account willy-nilly if you're if you own a uh, stock and tesla you can't say i'm gonna go uh, cash out some uh, my money today <laughs> uh, and i want you to think about that as a business owner as uh, with that setup, so you, you don't just go take out money out of your business account willy-nilly. You you decide as a management decision if you're willing to take some of the profits out and and use it for personal use. And so uh, I, I encourage all of our clients to set a monthly amount to take uh, to take out each month, assuming the profits can support it, 
and don't take more than that out unless it's like an annual or quarterly decision to do that. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is when we talk about um, valuing businesses and and Jeff, when you were describing all these things, in my mind is well, you basically on the investment side, that's how we value value stocks versus growth stocks. Mm -hmm. And we talk to a lot of clients, and they'll say, "Oh my gosh, Tesla is trading at this huge multiple, and it's way overvalued." And blah 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 blah. Well, that's because Tesla's growing like a weed. You know, investors are willing to pay up for the potential that Tesla could be the next General Motors, and actually, they are valued greater than GM. But that's an idea of if you're running a business and you're growing like that, what Jeff is telling you if you're in a spot is that that's the time that you start thinking about selling your business because you are growing like a weed and you are very attractive to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. You know, people, it's, it's not a bad thing that people want your business, right? Because it's, it's attractive versus say a value stock that has, had, has been hit for whatever reason and is trading at a lower multiple to other companies because it's not as attractive as other companies. And when, you're a when your business is a value stock, that's not the time to sit down with the professionals here and say, I think it's time for me to sell my business, right? And like, well, are you Tesla or are you not Tesla, right? And I think that's kind of looking on the investment side is 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 how we value companies when we want to buy them. Right. And out in in the real marketplace, you know, this construction company is the same. It's it's the same concept. Yeah, and, and it, eventually this becomes more than just a tax or business planning question. It becomes a personnel question because you have to have the right people on board to take the reins after you leave. And so leadership development and training and taking your time to do that and finding the right candidates and really grooming those candidates over time is, uh, is just as much a part of all this uh, uh, equation or the equation that we're, we're thinking about this selling of your business you just simply have to have the right people on board as well. The right professionals and the right people to take over the business after you're done. Who can continue that growth streak? Who you've right. brought on to continue sales and marketing and product development or distribution or, or service uh, delivery. All of those things, they, they matter. You can't be the sole person re responsible for delivering all of that, uh, uh, all of the value in your business. Uh, Nathan was telling me this morning about another uh, business owner he ran into uh, at a conference that he was at this last weekend that um, is responsible for personally bringing in about $800,000 a year in revenue in the business every year. That's a that's a tough business to walk away from if you're in charge of $800,000 of the revenue. Right. Uh, I don't know if there's more details you can share with us about that. but Yeah, essentially the, the buyers of his practice didn't realize that until after it was purchased. Uh, and and so they walked in. They said, "Okay, even I, I think they had a sense of it because they were thinking, even if we have to hire two people to replace this one person, it'll be fine." But um, turns out this guy was working uh, like twelve to fourteen hour days during tax season, and the rest of the year he's working still uh, ten twelve hour days, including Saturdays and Sundays. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they hired a couple more people. One of those people was was one of the brothers of the buyers and he wasn't he wasn't thinking he was going to be involved in all that work and mm -hmm. it was it was a struggle for him <laughs> yeah and they were kind of in over their heads for a while and so that it goes back to these some of these ideas of um, there's a book called 
the e myth that says, hey, this is these are the processes to put into place where if you can get your business to run without your direct involvement every day, it's going to be way more valuable. There's there's more recent books too. There's a book called Traction. That's that's uh, one that I've been wanting to check out, and and a few more similar to that with with the concept in mind that hey, processes are important and they're valuable, and if you can nail those down then you've got a business and not a job. Well, it, it's almost counterintuitive because you, you, you talk to a lot of business owners and it's like, I have to be here, right? If I'm not here, the place is going to fall apart, so therefore I can't sell it. And it's like what you're describing is exactly the opposite. If you're a successful business owner and you're growing, that's the point you should be saying, how can I replace myself, mm-hmm. at least in the processes of the business, right? How do I get myself out of the day-to-day slugfest of running this business and bringing this money in whatever it happens to be and how do I transition to more of an advisory type where the business isn't managing me any longer I'm managing the business right and that's that's that threshold that's hard for many business owners and it's not a bad thing it's just kind of the human thing right it's this baby that I brought on and and, and I have to make sure that the umbilical cord is still there because that baby might need me one day so I have to be there that was a good analogy. So uh, I also talked to some accountants last week who sold their businesses this year, and we said, what's the hardest part about it? And they said it, it was like a baby for them. <laughs> there was an mm-hmm. emotional connection to yep. it. Yep. And that was kind of interesting to hear that um, there, there's there's more to business than just these arm's length transactions where mm-hmm. if you're really successful and you are and you're helping the people on your team become the leaders that they um, that they can be, uh, then there's an emotional attachment there. And I, I think that's kind of a, a mark of success. And if there's, it's emotionally difficult for you to leave, you, you've probably done a good job. Yeah, exactly. At least you care enough about the business and what you do in the marketplace that it matters, right? right. Yeah. Another interesting thought is that uh, a lot of people come across the question of, of timing and how do you know when it's time to sell your business? Um, and one guy I talked to recently just said that he, he had this realization that he had done a really good job of training his, his staff to, uh, to run the business largely without his direct input on a day-to-day basis. Um, and he had a general manager come up to him and say they don't want to be general manager anymore. And so he had to make this decision of finding uh, a general manager or selling, and he realized that the risk of him getting back involved in the company to him was uh, was a bigger risk than accepting a lower rate of return just in stocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that made sense. If the risk to you is is of getting back more involved in the business and dealing with the stress that comes with that uh, is is worth more or less than uh, than accepting low returns for just being invested in the market, then it's probably time. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a client I met with earlier this week that had that same kind of, uh, I guess, uh, trade-off they had to f- decide upon for their, for their own home. So they own some real estate that could be developed. They get, you know, offered uh, multiple times throughout the year from different people to buy their property and develop it. And and they wanted to come in and chat about uh, what the prospects would be if they were to do the development and what that might look like. And um, the hardest decision to make for them was to decide that their house 
would likely have to be demolished and, and the highest and best use of their asset would be to develop the entire property because about half of this five acres or so is taken up by the home and shop and uh, and that's where you know half of the value in the land is and realistically it probably makes more sense for them to uh, to demolish the home and develop the entire piece of property um, and, and I think it, business owners in a lot of ways uh, probably have to make that determination just like you're talking about accepting potentially a lower return than they would get on their own business by selling and investing in other assets might be the best case scenario or the highest and best use of their money and their time um, and, and it's a tough decision to have to make uh, to be able to let go of your baby and say someone else is going to take care of it and whatever happens to it has to be yeah. okay. Yep. If they demolish the house, that has to be okay. If they yep. keep the house, that has to be okay. Like yep. no longer can I be involved in the day-to-day -day decisions of what happens to my asset because the trade-off would mean if I do get to decide, now I'm back involved mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. The stress is back, the life is back, my time is gone, and trading my time for money at some point no longer makes sense. Um, Especially if you've built a profitable enough business to be able to sell for a few million dollars and have the financial capacity to retire uh, and, and do something else with your time or your life. Uh, many of business owners we work with don't necessarily want to retire. They right. love the grind. They love going to work every day. It's, it's their escape from uh, whatever, whatever else in life is, is ailing them. Um, and so, so I know a fair number of people who will probably die in the chair and, right. and uh, enjoy living the business for a long period of time and working in the business uh, into their late, uh, later years. But uh, for most people, that's probably not realistic. Well, I think, I think it comes down to a line in, 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 in a, either a movie or a show, I can't remember which, is that's what the money's for, right? You sold your business and you don't like what's happening. It's like, well, that's what the money's for, right? If, if you can't move right. beyond that, if you, someone's going to buy your house or your, this property, right? Is it, you got to be good with whatever they do. Is gotta, you know, that's what they paid you for. They paid you to walk away and say, you know, I don't like what they're doing. Well, that was what the money's for. Yeah, you know, so they can do what they want. I actually really like that. That's what the money's for. That's what that's, that was what the money was. That's for. your constellation prize. That's your con you know this million dollar check or whatever it happens to be, right? Right. That's what the money was for. Right. Yeah. I was just thinking about how I, I recently noticed my first patch of gray hair in my on no my boy. head. <laughs> I was thinking. How many more years of gray patches is this worth? Maybe I'm ready to retire. <laughs> and, yeah, despite what people think, men are, just, men are just as vain as women. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I, I get a lot of joy out of work, and I, and I think if you can make your work joyful and create the right patients or clients and staff, I think that adds value to the next person, but also adds value to your own life. There's lots of decisions to make throughout your your career um, with what to do with money and and how to plan for it and, and think about what's next for you but um, it's okay to, to, to think about uh, to this year and what what joy am I getting out of out of my career today and I think that you can make your everyday experience be a little better each day I know for me, it's been a lot of fun to, to have partners and think about 
business planning, but it's also been a lot of fun to, to work with uh, employees and, and try and develop them. But I also think there's there's going to be some value to that at the end of the at the end of the day and at the end of the career, and uh, it's it's fun to think about stuff like that. That's so true. Thanks, guys. Wow, that's a lot to think about, and I know the wheels are turning, and you probably have some questions about how this all applies to your business and your exit or retirement strategy. Well, that's what Epic Trust Financial is here for. Email your questions to Mark M A R C at EpicTrust.com or find them online at epictrust.com. Investments and financial planning services are offered through Epic Trust Investment Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Investments should be considered within your overall plan, risk tolerance, and financial needs. Participation involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Tax advice and accounting services are provided by Epic Tax Solutions, LLC. Insurance product are offered by Epic Insurance Solutions, LLC, and guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability to the issuing company and are not guarantees offered by Epic Trust Financial Group, LLC, or its affiliated companies. Epic Trust Financial Group, LLC is not a chartered bank, trust company, or depository institution. Speakers who are not identified as members of Epic Trust are expressing their own opinion and their statements should not be considered as reflecting the views of Epic. Third-party speakers and the host are not subject to FINRA regulation regarding conflicts and disclosure, and the listener should be aware that they may have a financial interest in or other conflicts of interest with any companies discussed. And the opinions expressed herein are statements of Epic's judgment on this date and are subject to change without notice. This recording is the copyrighted property of Epic Trust. No part of this recording may be reproduced or used without written permission.